There are reasons that dark money came to be called dark. One is that since the Supreme Court's 2010 ruling called Citizens United, hundreds of millions of dollars from sources almost completely obscured from view have flooded the political zone. And dark, too, can mean the sinister nature of some political attack ads and mailers that can revile candidates behind the obscurity of a bland name from a made-up organization or the anonymity of a post office box. In January 2010, six days after the Supreme Court issued its decision, President Barack Obama took time in his State of the Union address to warn about its consequences to American politics. With all due deference to separation of powers, Last week, the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections. I don't think American elections should be bankrolled by America's most powerful interests, or worse, by foreign entities. They should be decided by the American people. The scenario got a lot darker late last month when President Trump's Treasury Secretary and the Internal Revenue Service declared that some politically active tax-exempt groups, like the National Rifle Association, won't have to list the names of people who donate to their political efforts, no matter who, no matter how much, because of a fear of government intimidation. But this secrecy flies in the face of what the Supreme Court also declared in Citizens United, that transparency enables the electorate to make informed decisions and give proper weight to different speakers and messages. Which brings us to Montana, to its native daughter, filmmaker Kimberly Reed, and to her new documentary, Dark Money. Montana is a Western state, a pretty conservative state, and a pretty independent one and Reed spent six years tracking the stories of how dark money was smashing a system of political openness and accountability that Montanans had spent a century building and how they're fighting back in a fashion that other states could emulate. We think of the complexities of campaign finance as an issue of Washington, an issue of the Beltway, but your story is set in Montana. Why is that? You know, it made a really good case study. I think that most of the time when you talk about campaign finance, the stories tend to get a little complicated, right? And when you try to talk about anonymous money in politics, which is what our film is about, the people who are spending that money are intentionally trying to keep the money anonymous. It can be a complicated story to tell. And I felt like if we could just use one microcosm to talk about all of these issues, that would be the way to do it. It was very important to me to tell a a story about human beings and not about bar graphs and stuff, and to really show the impact that this money in politics, this secret money in politics, the impact that that has on the day-to-day lives of everyday citizens. And it turned out that my home state, Montana, was the best case study that I could have found. What What's the hook that got you interested in the story of dark money in the first place? The first seed was when I heard about the Citizens United decision. And so that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I had a lot of questions about that. The real hook, I would say, was in 2012 when, uh, because I was paying attention to the politics in my home state, I realized that Montana had a court case that was looking like it was going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and had the ability to overturn or at least challenge Citizens United. And it seemed like a really good way to tell 
that abstract story about money and politics, but to make it about real people again. And I knew there was going to be a really deep tradition of grassroots opposition to money and politics, especially corporate control of political system in Montana. Montana had a very deep history of both being run by companies, copper companies, mining companies, and then a pushback that said, we don't want these corporations dictating how the state is run. And so Montana set up very strict, very clear laws about clean politics, about campaign money, and that's where they butted heads with Citizens United. Montana is, there's not a lot of people that live there, and there's tons of natural resources. So that formulation usually means that rich guys at the time, of course, would come out and develop the natural resources in one way or another. One of the big places that that happened was in Butte, Montana, the richest hill on earth, as it was known in the early 1900s. And it was one of the best copper mines in the world. And they took millions and millions out of that hill. Didn't give a lot back to the local community, except for a bunch of environmental disasters that had to be cleaned up later. On top of that, there was such rampant corruption, politicians being bought off and stuff. We're talking about copper kings, one in particular named William A. Clark, bribing the legislators on the floor of the Montana Capitol building, having his henchmen hand out envelopes containing $10,000 to have these legislators vote for William A. Clark to go be Montana's first U.S. senator. They owned the politicians, they owned the newspapers, and that rampant corruption was unacceptable to a lot of Montanans. So it was that they passed the Corrupt Practices Act of 1912, which banned corporate contributions to political campaigns. And then uh, Citizens United came along, and you have Montana, which wanted to defend its own standards, its own rules, even though Citizens United was essentially a, yeah, free-for-all. Yet Montana is a state where you have a lot of Republicans in elected office. And what you show in the film is how this pitted Republicans against Republicans. There were secret campaigns against people who'd been in office a long time, who were known, who were admired, even loved figures in Montana politics. Yeah, the way we first saw this dark money kind of cropping up in Montana, primary races where Republicans were attacking other Republicans Republicans from the far right were attacking other Republicans. I hesitate to call them centrist or moderate because, like, they're not. (laughs) These are really kind of solid rock rib Republicans. But they were being attacked and knocked out of office by who knows who. At the time, we didn't know when it first started getting piloted in 2008. In 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court took the lid off of that with Citizens United, made the ability to spend money in those elections unlimited. What we saw was one nonprofit corporation that was running a whole suite of elections. Ultimately, they worked with 14 candidates in one primary election. At the time, in 2008, it was known as Western Tradition Partnership. And they all have names like that, that all are cobbled together to sound good, but they don't really identify anything. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the only thing you know about them is that they have a patriotic sounding name and you may know the post office box that they're registered in, probably in Virginia or, or Washington, D.C. 
The mailers themselves, as described in the film, were kind of vicious. There was one that came from a mother's group against mass murderers that tried to tie an old line Montana figure with a mass murderer in Chicago. Talk about some of those mailers and what they accomplished. Yeah, there was one mailer that showed up attacking a conservative Republican, comparing him to John Wayne Gacy, the mass murderer of little children. The group that bought those postcards and those letters and ads and radio is called Mothers Against Child Predators. You know, who's going to be against mothers? You can't learn anything about who's behind that group. If you send out a postcard like that a couple days before a primary election, you're not going to have any idea where it's coming from, who's behind it, and you're probably not going to be able to respond at all. And yet Montana decided to fight back against this. When it first happened, there was definitely a shock to the system. So we follow this trend over three election cycles, and you just saw dark money groups, these social welfare nonprofit groups, continue to be more and more weaponized and done so in, in more and more professionally each election cycle. Initially, I think that they were pretty effective, but because of some of these historical aspects that we're talking about that have made Montanas in general pretty, pretty wary of corporate money, especially anonymous money in our elections, people started to really pay attention to this issue and to ask questions about where it's coming from and to demand answers. The people who want to keep dark money have a real problem. The public does not agree with them. They want a government that works for them. It doesn't work for special interests, doesn't work for political parties, it works for them. Montana was one of the first states in 2012 to pass a statewide ballot initiative instructing its statewide elected officials, you know, we have two senators and one representative, to go back to Washington, D.C., and to do what they could to repeal Citizens United. So even in 2012, you started to see this pushback. And I always like to emphasize these the solutions that are happening in Montana because I think at the end of the day, it's a really hopeful story. There's a lot of very disturbing stuff going on here with secret influences taking over elections when people aren't paying attention, and that can that can be kind of depressing. But I don't want people to be depressed. I want people to be motivated to pay attention. Montana voters got to the bottom of it and ultimately passed some of the strongest campaign finance laws in the country um, because folks were paying attention. There are two figures that you follow very closely. One of them is um, the attorney general who became the governor, Governor Bullock. And the other one is an investigative reporter who ended up having to live in his truck to pursue this story. You know, the number one rule of political or watchdog reporting is follow the money. John Adams here. I covered the legislature for the Great Falls Tribune. So these two characters really help to carry the story and the legal case along. Her film has a lot of everyday heroes. There's these state legislators who are, you know, during the day they're farmers and you know, bankers and lawyers and, you know, teachers. And then we have some regulators, you know, people who are just enforcing the campaign finance laws who are real heroes. The whole story kind of unfurls through the eyes of this investigative reporter named John S. Adams. 
following John was was really crucial for us to tell the story. And the other, Steve Bullock, because he ultimately becomes the governor of the state as a Democrat, working with a group of Republicans who, you know, got their heads together and passed some reforms. The state legislature realized that the best disinfectant, as it is often said, is, is sunlight. If we can just see where this money is coming from, that's going to go a long way to cleaning up Montana elections. What we follow in our film are solutions that take place on the state level. And I think that that's where progress on this front is is going to happen. It's also something that is enshrined, actually, believe it or not, in Citizens United itself. There's an accompanying decision saying that the only reason we can find the way that we're finding in Citizens United and opening the floodgates to money is because we are all assuming that we're going to know where that money is coming from. And Antonin Scalia was particularly vociferous about the idea of opening this to scrutiny. Now, the premise of democracy is that people are intelligent and can discern the true, the true from the false, at least when, when as the, the campaign laws require, you know who is speaking. You can't speak anonymously. You, you, have, to, you have to say, uh, you know, identify the people. Yeah, he's, he's got a famous quote. Uh, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but something to the effect that, you know, having elections where people are afraid to stand up and take credit for speaking in an election, in our democracy, he said, that does not strike me as the home of the brave. The one thing we really have is, is disclosure, so we can tell where this money is coming from, because as soon as you shine a spotlight on it and you see where it came from, then an educated voter can determine what their motives are. With documentaries that involve politics or social policy, the risk is always that you have a film that's preaching to the choir. Were you concerned about that when you started making this? I'm always concerned about that. As a documentary filmmaker, I think it's much more important to ask questions than to come at people with a bunch of answers. And as a person, I think that it, that's generally a good approach to have a an open, skeptical mind that's looking at all sides of an issue. And that was certainly the case with what was going on here. Is what Montana did a template? I really think it is a playbook. I think it's a playbook, and I think it's a good example for pretty much every other state to follow. There's always going to be money in politics, right? There just is. There always has been. There always will be. What we can do is make sure that we know where it's coming from so we can weed out you know, what people's motives are and especially whether or not they have a profit motive, because that's often there. Kimberly Reed, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Mike Heflin and Dave Wine and edited by Heflin. The audio moments are from C-SPAN, CNN, and The Documentary. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.